listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Steve Linder began his career as a professional fundraiser for former Governor William Milliken back in 1978. Since then, he's worked for several candidates, ballot initiative campaigns, and PACs. In 1992, Linder founded Linder and Associates, the, quote, first ever multi-client fundraising consulting business here in the state of Michigan. He's considered one of the strongest influencers of Republican politics in our state. He joins us now to discuss what's happening locally and nationally with the GOP. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thanks for having me here today. I've got my I was going to uh, say, I was, was going to let the listeners know on. that you sat down in the chair across from me and put on a Make America Great Again hat, which uh, I don't know, is that a... Is that a it's a great day <laughs> in America today. We have a new lawfully elected president. We've yeah. got a booming economy, growth, low unemployment in black and Hispanic community. We've got uh, Kim Jong-un ready to sit down and hopefully disarm. Uh, it's a great day to be an American. And yet... The talk in political circles uh, and in media circles is of the potential for pushback this fall against the things that Donald Trump has done, against the things that Donald Trump has said, against the many really offensive things uh, that he has indulged since he has been president of the United States. What makes you what makes you confident these days about your candidate and your president? Well, I'm hoping that the American people are sophisticated enough to look at results. Donald Trump ran on a platform of strength, of economic growth, of getting the economy jump-started, of getting us out of really bad uh, free trade, not fair trade uh, agreements that we've had, putting Americans back to work again. If you look at those metrics— Going home and saying, is my family better off than it was two years ago? I think the answer will be yes. Well, I mean, the truth is that American families have been climbing the economic ladder for nine years now since the Great Recession. And things were getting better uh, under Barack Obama. Uh, They haven't gotten better faster under Donald Trump. In fact, uh, job recovery is slower uh, some of the other economic indicators have slowed. I mean, I guess I'm not sure what they should point to to say that things are better. We did have the tax cut bill, which I know a lot of folks were in favor of. At the same time, though, if you look at the debt that's going to pile up as a result of that long term, that's not going to help American families or their kids. I guess I'm really puzzled when I hear Republicans say hey, look, this has been a successful presidency so far. It's a, it's a presidency that has existed under a cloud of investigation almost since the day it took office. It's, a, it's a, an administration that has made many gaffes uh, on the international front uh, because of the president's mouth and his thumbs on the keyboard. What, what, what makes you think that things are better? Well, they are better. We've had almost 3% sustained growth Uh On the ladder of success right now, American families are on the elevator of success, the express elevator right now. People are working. You can't move up a ladder unless your foot is actually on one of the rungs. Household income is going up for those people that work for uh, companies and and, uh, and have 401ks. Their 401ks uh, have exploded. Look, Debt is also a function of the willingness of the legislature to control spending and growth. 
we are collecting record revenues right now at the federal level. There is no reason that debt should be going up. And so one of the things that Congress needs to do is to reorder its priorities and use the advantage of increased income. You've got companies right now that have given employees massive bonuses right now that are moving their operations back to the United States. It hasn't been two years since Donald Trump's been in office. And look at the growth. On the international stage, we finally recognized uh, Jerusalem uh, as Israel's capital, our only reliable democratically elected ally in the Middle East. And who would have ever thought that after all of the tough talk and the fact that he's going to start a nuclear war, we may actually have peace on the Korean Peninsula in the first time in in, in almost 70 years. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, there's a lot more nuance to what's going on on the Korean mm-hmm. Peninsula than uh, the president probably even understands, let alone what he says. Uh, and and we will see as this unfolds what that actually what that actually looks like and and is about. Uh, I, I want to talk some about Michigan uh, and what we're what we're headed into uh, this fall. Uh, w- w- historically, uh, we have seen, and you would know this almost as well as anybody in the state. It has been really hard for a party, a political party, to succeed itself in the governor's mansion in uh, Michigan. It seems that uh, we have. Uh, a governor of one party for uh, a stretch of time, and then voters say, "Well, let's try something uh, different." And that dates back to I think the the, the 1940s or maybe the 1930s. Uh, William Milliken was the one exception, but he ran as an incumbent really uh, the first time because uh, he had been lieutenant governor, and George Romney went off to to run HUD, so he had been governor. Um, what makes you think that Republicans can reverse that trend this year? What what's the strength? I guess that they they have to sort of reach out for to say keep us in, keep us in the governor's mansion another four years. Well, using the same logic that I use to say that <clears throat> President Trump deserves credit for the state of the economy, so does Governor Snyder deserve credit for latching on and and uh, it, it pursuing pro growth policies here. Historically low unemployment. The auto industry is back again. The supplier industry is back again. Household income in Michigan is is uh, going up. We've increased the grants to uh, public schools since Governor Snyder has become governor, and we've had a Republican-controlled legislature. Actually, so. we we have only done that in the last year. For most of his term, uh, we had he came in and made a huge cut to public education, and we have just now caught up to restoring that money. It's up just a little bit. But meanwhile, other states have basically lapped us in terms of of funding. I mean, it's a really interesting way to spin a cut to education as somehow growth. It is growing. And remember that public education in Michigan is not just state supported, but also local millage supported. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that public education funding went down had nothing to do with the state government. It had to do with depressed property values. Property values are starting to go up, and so the state is doing its part. So you're saying that Governor Snyder did not cut public education? I don't believe he did. He sure did. He cut cut both... K-12 and higher ed when he got into office. And it's it's now just now that we're that we're catching up to restoring those cuts. And now 
it's growing again. Now it is but growing. But we've lost and eight years and in the process. And that's what we need to focus on is the fact that, that funding is increasing. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Steve Linder, Republican political consultant and fundraiser here in Michigan, someone who's been around a long time in those circles, had a lot to do with uh, elections and fundraising for a very long time here in Michigan. We're talking about the state of the political landscape here in the state of Michigan in 2018, an election year, a midterm election year. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Is it always the numbers on the phones? That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, I also want to ask you about uh, how, as how Republicans deal with the tragedy of the Flint water crisis in in this election year. I, I think that's one of the things that they will be asked to answer for uh, in many ways. Uh, there's no question that state government, uh, through its uh, appropriation of local government in Flint uh, was responsible for the decision-making that led to the crisis. Uh, I I think that's going to be an albatross around whoever's neck uh, emerges from from the primary, whether that's uh, Bill Schuette or or Brian Kelly. How how would you advise uh, a a Republican candidate to deal with that? Well, since none of them have asked me uh, how to deal with it, I really don't. that's probably not a question that I have a very good answer for. Okay, is uh, the Flint water? I will say this: um, I I grew up in Flint. I mm-hmm. went to Flint Northern High School, mm-hmm. the original Flint Northern High mm-hmm. School, and <laughs> graduated from the one that was the new Northern, uh, now closed. Uh, Flint was a uh, prosperous city when I lived there, uh, highest per capita income in the world of any city over a hundred thousand. Fortunately, it was a one horse town, and when that horse left. Uh, the town uh, had to go through a a transformation. But that also meant that the city was not doing its part to uh, spend the money to upgrade its infrastructure. So there's a lot of uh, culpability to to go around. How Republicans deal with it remains to be seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Good morning. Hey. Um, I'm an African-American, and um, it is not a great time for me to be an American Mm -hmm. right now. I feel like the purulence and the racism and bigotry, the purulence of racism and bigotry is running rampant across this nation. My oldest son and I are just one episode away from being featured in some viral video, perhaps at the hands of an abusive fellow American. Mm -hmm. And I think this guest is letting his white privilege show. Hmm. Ruby, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of African-Americans feel the same way, and I would include myself in that that category. Uh, Steve, there is this question about how the president, when he says things like make America great again, when he says things about immigrants, when he is silent about the things that we're seeing in terms of police abuse of African-Americans, 
when he's silent even about uh, an African-American hero who stands up and, and, and grabs a gun from somebody who's shooting people in a, in, a, in a public place. How do you reconcile those things and how does the president reconcile those things? I mean, uh, this idea of make America great again does seem in some ways to be code for let's go back to the time when African-Americans were uh, were not equal, were not treated uh, under the even the even under the law, uh, the same as other Americans. You think of the things that that are going on in the Justice Department, the backing away from civil rights enforcement, the things that are going on in the Department of Education with Betsy DeVos, withdrawing from civil rights uh, work in that department. How can you how can you reconcile those things? Uh, well, first of all, let me address uh, one sort of accusation, and that is uh, white privilege. Uh, my family uh, grew up in uh, Tsarist Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were victims of pogroms. My family had to leave in a hurry. Those that didn't uh, come to America went to Poland, and they were killed by the Nazis, mm-hmm. in all of them, mm-hmm. all 80 of them. Uh, they came to America on the deck of a ship. I actually went to Ellis Island. I got a copy of the ship, a picture of the ship. They stood in line. They went into quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came here and lived in uh, industrial neighborhoods where they were discriminated against because of their religion. My family was uh, very involved in the early civil rights movement, standing alongside uh, of uh, our black neighbors. I mm-hmm. grew up in a majority-minority neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I went to a majority-minority school. And so I'm not understanding uh, why the color of my skin makes me Privilege. My family uh, suffered death, destruction, uh, uprooting, and so. Um, well, I think that the, is not. I, I, I do the not short, have white, the very white short. Yeah, privilege. the very short answer is you that know. even despite those things, which I think are, are very important and shape your life, uh, you and I walk out of this studio. A cop sees us. The response to us is going to be very different off the rip. And that's, that's the kind of, it's, it's not privilege necessarily, because I think we associate that word with money or, or other things. It's advantage. It's that, it's that even despite your background, uh, an African-American person faces an automatic set of burdens that you would never have to encounter. And that's not to, to, to dismiss the hardship that your family endured or that you might have endured in this country. It's to say that it's different from being an African-American. And I think that's what she's trying to get I, at. I understand, as I said, where I grew up, I, I did not see that. Mm-hmm. I saw people of, I was poor. My family was poor. We lived in a neighborhood where people showered after work. Uh, went to a neighborhood where you went to the shop or you went to the army or you went to jail. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. But the fact of the matter is we still live in a country where we wake up free. Uh, I went to the same schools. My refrigerator isn't any colder than <laughs> my heat isn't any hotter than people of uh, different economic circumstances uh, than mine. And uh, I just don't know any other place in the world where regardless of these types of issues, and I'm not disputing, sure. you know, that this, that you, you or this woman have these issues. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to run out of time. We've got yeah. about a minute left. I, I just want to get you to address how do you then reconcile someone like Donald Trump and the things he says and does against these things that, that you know from your own experiences are issues? I do not believe Donald Trump is a racist. 
And I guess there's a fundamental disagreement here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not going to defend. So backing away think, from civil rights enforcement, uh, 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 the things that he's done with with immigration don't have anything to do well, with bigotry. Hold on. Let's go uh, to immigration. We're not talking about immigration. We're talking about legal immigration. The people that are the angriest right now about illegals are those that are waiting in line lawfully and have applied for visas and are going through uh, the process. And now we've got people who just want to cut the line and hide. There is a distinction. We're a sovereign nation. We have the right to decide who gets in and who doesn't. Steve Linder, we'll have to have you back to talk more deeply about all these things. But I really appreciate your being here on Detroit Today. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We will see you tomorrow.